You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit ProvidenceTX.org. And uh, we're going to be reading today from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. Uh, So go ahead and turn there if you can. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be a Bible somewhere underneath the seat around you. Uh, And if you don't own a Bible, feel free to make that yours. Take it home with you. Again, we value the Word so highly that we want to be able to share this uh, with you all. Again, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7, uh, 7, almost said 17, 7 through 13. And if you're there and you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Again, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. Providence, hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Y'all may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. My name's Cord. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Uh, Like Scott said, we've been working through the book of Exodus. Uh, We have uh, three series this year, Um, one in the spring, one in the summer, one in the fall, but it's all in the book of Exodus, and we've been making our way through. And so this morning, I have a responsibility to do kind of a part two of what I talked about last week, which is the plagues. And I kind of gave a 30,000-foot overview last week of the plagues, you know, what's really happening at the cosmic level, what's, what's God doing in the confrontation between uh, Pharaoh and Moses and Aaron, and really that it's a confrontation between Yahweh and the false gods of Egypt. And what we're going to do this morning is actually something that I don't think I've ever done, but we're going to read together all the plagues. And so uh, it's going to take a little bit of time. Buckle up. All right, you got your Bibles. You can crack them open. We're going to be reading through them. Um, and, and the purpose for this is twofold. Number one, the Word of God is worthy of our time. It's worthy of, if, if I just read that and we, and we prayed and went home, it would be maybe even better than anything else. The Word of God stands as timeless. And so that's number one. But number two, the dialogue that's happening here in the, in the Scripture with the Pharaoh and with Moses and Aaron, and in particular, God speaking through Moses or God speaking through Aaron to the Pharaoh, um, it's hard to really understand exactly uh, what's happening without just reading it outright and kind of making some pauses. And so what I want to do is get into it, but before I do, so if you, have your, if you do have your Bibles, we're going to be Exodus chapter 7 starting in 14, and I've got some reading to do, okay? So I'm hooked on phonics. I hope I'll do okay. Um, but what I want to do first is just pray, ask the Spirit of God to speak to us through his word. And so if you'll bow your heads, I'll pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, thank you that you've preserved your word for thousands of years, and now here we are, and we have the great privilege to submit under your word's authority and truth. We ask now that you might soften our hearts, not like the Pharaoh, but instead that we might hear your word respond and believe. 
so that we might be obedient, God, which leads to life. We just, we want to take those warnings from the writer of Hebrews about the deceitfulness of sin and how it hardens us, and we want to take them seriously. So, Holy Spirit, soften us now. Unstop our ears. Move scales from our eyes. Help us to hear your word fresh. Lord, convict us where we need it. Comfort us where we need it. Confront us where we need it. Give us the encouragement we need, the rebuke we need, the admonishment we need. All from your word we ask. We pray it in Jesus' good name. Amen. Okay, before we jump in here, I want, I want you guys to be peeking in, and I'm going to stop and then go and stop and go, but I want you guys to really focus on Pharaoh's response to each plague. Um, this, a big mega theme in the Bible is Pharaoh's heart is hardened. It's, it's about one-third, one-third, one-third of what the Bible actually says. Uh, God's activity saying that God hardened Pharaoh's heart about one-third of the time, uh, Pharaoh's activity and that it says Pharaoh hardens his heart against God's word about one-third of the time, and in the passive voice that Pharaoh's heart was hardened about one-third of the time. And I think that the reason for this is that, that all of these things are true in the interaction in a mysterious way, in that God has a sovereign purpose in hardening Pharaoh's heart, and that Pharaoh hardens his heart against God and rebels and has no interest listening to him, and both of those things are true. I think I mentioned it last week, the Puritans used to have a line that said, the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. And the idea was that the hardening of Pharaoh's heart happened in the same way. The calling words of God, loving, caring, merciful call to repentance that God gives to Pharaoh hardened him in the same way that it softened the Moses or it softened the children of Israel or softened even, you're going to see here in a moment, some of the Egyptians that ultimately it's the same loving God speaking and calling that has this effect. And so I want you to peek in at all the different stages, if you will, that are really characteristics of hardening that Pharaoh goes through as the plagues get laid out. And we're going to start in the very first plague, the water turning into blood. And I'll make pauses to kind of bring your attention to it, but just listen through his responses. Let's start in verse 14. And then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning, as he's going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him, and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Now, I want you guys to hearken back and remember that Pharaoh's first response when Moses and Aaron showed up to him with this command from God was, who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh? I do not know him, nor will I let the people go. Who is the Lord, Yahweh, that I might obey his voice? Now, the response to that from God is going to be regular throughout these next few uh, few chapters, and it's right here starting in verse 17. He says, thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. So you don't know me, you're going to know me. Underline right there. Okay. Behold, with the staff that's in my hand, I will strike the water that's in the Nile, and it shall turn to blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking the water from the Nile. 
And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, take your staff, stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, their ponds, their pools of water, so that they may become blood, and there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and in the vessels of stone. One thing I overlooked many times reading this is that it's not just water of the Nile that turns to blood, but anywhere they're storing water, that turns to blood too. It's a complete plague over the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded, and in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. And there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Verse 22, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not even take this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. And seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. So the first thing that we see is that Pharaoh's response is to simply ignore the first plague. Now, I want us to to note here that Pharaoh is a representation not of just a grotesque king of Egypt who's evil. All of those things are true, but I want us to remember, Pharaoh is also a representation of humanity, a representation of human beings. I say this because the very first sin that we're introduced to in the Garden of Eden was that the serpent had beguiled Eve to believe that she could be like God, and she received that, believed it, said, I want to be like God, and tried to ascend to that place through the disobedience of eating the fruit, and Adam partook with her. Pharaoh represents the outworking of this as he believes himself to be God, which is why God says, I will make Moses, I'll make you a God to him, you'll represent me, and I'll show him that he is not a God. So lest we be snobby here and think, oh, well, Pharaoh's just this evil wick. Yes, he is, and we are too. Yes, he is, and we, we should see ourselves here, the desire to ascend. So the first response is to ignore, well, this is just an aberration. Okay, my magicians can do that too. That's the idea. Okay, let's continue. Chapter 8, and then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me might be good to underline that. God frees us that we might worship and serve him. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. If you haven't been here, by the way, check out last week's podcast. Each of these, they may seem random. Why frogs? Each of the plagues correspond to one of the Egyptian idols and gods. And so it's not just random that he would send frogs. You know, I remember reading that as a child. I'm like, could have been cooler. I've seen a Marvel movie. You know, it could have been something else. There's a reason. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, in the houses of your servants and your people, in your ovens, in your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come upon you and on all your people and on all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers and over the canals, the pools, and make the frogs come up in the land of Egypt. And so Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt Verse 7, but the magicians did the same by their secret arts, and they made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said to him, plead with the Lord to take these frogs away from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Now he's just lying, by the way. This is not going to happen. So response two is to lie. So first, ignore. Second, lie. Verse 9, Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut out from cut off from you in your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, tomorrow, Moses said, be it as you say, check this out, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. 
It's not only that God wants to assert his dominance through exhibiting his power in the plagues, but also it's only the Lord our God that can extend mercy and bring the plagues back. Notice that the magicians can bring the frogs, but but Pharaoh still has to plead with Moses for Yahweh to take them away. This is because the false gods can also bring destruction. In fact, that's all they can offer. They can't bring mercy. They can't bring good. The magicians can't make them go away. They can just make it multiply. Talk about a whole lesson and a whole message to be said about idols in our lives. They can multiply the pain. They cannot bring healing. Verse 11, the frogs shall go away from you and your house, your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile so that Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh. And Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards and the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps and the land stank. I want you to remember this is twice that God has made a stench in the land of Egypt. And that's because the word of God said that Israel had become a stench to the Pharaoh and he had made them a stench to the people. So now there's an inversion. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, here it goes, he hardened his heart. He would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Verse 16, and then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff, strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so, and Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff, and he struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and on beasts. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried with their secret arts to produce the gnats. Now, this is the first time, but they could not. From here on out, they can't do what God does. And so verse 19, the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God, the very self-same phrase that's used on Mount Sinai when God writes the Ten Commandments with his very own finger is used here by the magicians, just reiterating that not just the Israelites saw the glory of God, but all the nations knew that he was the Lord as God had said. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Verse 20, and then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning, present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water. As a side note, I always kind of think it's funny that he's always bathing when this happens. You know, it's like, keep seeing Moses at the bath time, you know. Um, He says, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there. Here it is that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. There it is again. From plague four until plague 10, God sets a distinction between Goshen and his people and Egypt and the Egyptian people. Now we're going to get to why, but I just want to make mention of this. From this moment on, there's going to be a distinction. The plagues come down in Egypt and the children of Israel are not experiencing them. Verse 25, and then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, it would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? No, we must go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. And so Pharaoh said, I'll let you sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. This is the next line of response, which is bargaining bargaining with the Lord. It looks something like this. God says to do a thing and you offer to do half of that, a fourth of that, 75% of that, and maybe something else. 
Now, before we mock Pharaoh on this, this should be common to you. It looks something like this. God convicts you to do a thing, and your response is, oh, okay, Lord, I'll read my Bible more. <laughs> you know, God, God points out an idol in your life, says, I don't want this to be removed. And you say, okay, I'll read that prayer book. I'll double tithe this time. Yeah. We all do this, Right? Or it might be something like this. It could be in the inverse. It could be, Lord's called you to give a certain amount of dollars to a, to a, a fund, and you say, okay, fine, I'll join a home group. <laughs> it's bargaining. I'll do this thing, not the thing that you told me to do, because that's the thing that actually you called me to do, but the thing that makes me feel more comfortable. Pharaoh says to Moses, fine, I'll let you go, but you can't go three days. You can only go so, so far. That, that's my final offer. See, Pharaoh has yet to understand that he's not bargaining with someone that actually has any reason, or he has no leverage with Yahweh. There's nothing he can offer. God said this is how it's going to be, and that's it. And we know this about the Lord, and yet we still fall into the same trap that Pharaoh does. I also love that he says, plead for me. And so Moses goes out and says, behold, I'm going to go out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms or flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. And so Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did as Moses asked, and he removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh and the servants and from his people. Listen to this. Not one remained. I can't even do that in my own house. Think about that. Have you ever thought not one fly remained in the land? But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also. He did not let the people go. Fifth plague, chapter 9. The Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold uh, hold them, behold, the land, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field. Horses, donkeys, camels, herds, flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Wish I had some time to talk about this, but the idea that this many livestock would die is just unfathomably destructive to this culture. I mean, Unbelievable. Verse 8, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let, them, let Moses throw them into the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land and become boils breaking out in sores on man and on beasts throughout all the land of Egypt. And so they took the soot from the kiln and they stood before Pharaoh and Moses threw it into the air and became boils breaking out in sores on man and on beasts. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all of the Egyptians. Think about this for a second. Up until this point, the magicians keep showing up for the showdown, but now they can't because why? They're too sick to get out of bed. So at this point, the magicians aren't even showing up anymore because this is already over for them. Verse 12, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Seventh plague, verse 13. So then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning, present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time, I'm going to send plagues on you yourself, on your servants, on your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. There it is again. 
For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. There it is again. You are still exalting yourself against my people, and you will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as has never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. And now therefore send your livestock, all that you have in the field, into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and livestock in the field. So all of the cattle that's still left over and all the servants that are still alive, they're trying to rush. Some of them are believing the word of the Lord and rushing them into the houses, and some of them are not still. And verse 22 says this, And then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man and beasts and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. And then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire down to the earth. And the Lord rained a hail upon the land of Egypt, and there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail such as never has been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, man and beast. The hail struck down every plant of the field. It broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. And then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron, and he said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Now, at this point, we're thinking, okay, finally, right? He's finally getting it. He's finally humbling himself. He's finally realizing that this battle that he thinks he can wage against Yahweh is a fool's errand for him. But in reality, this is worldly grief. Watch what Moses says here to to Pharaoh. Moses said to him, As soon as I've gone out of the city, I'll stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease. There will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. There it is again. But watch this. But as for you and for your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord. Moses knows through discernment that this is actually worldly grief. You're you're very familiar with this. The New Testament talks about this, but you don't even have to have read this in the New Testament to know. Your mom may have told you this before. Are you sorry you got caught or are you sorry for what you did? Pharaoh says, enough thunder and hail. That's punishment talk. Enough punishment. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, I was wrong. Are you sorry because it hurts or are you sorry because you did it? Pharaoh's sorry because it's hurting. Moses knows this. He knows the servants don't really submit themselves to the Lord. They've not humbled themselves before the Lord. They don't fear the Lord yet. Verse 33, so Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, and he stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased. And the rain no longer poured upon the earth, but when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard, and he did not let the people go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses, chapter 10. So then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them. 
and that you may tell them in the hearing of your son and in the hearing of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them. Why? That you may know that I am the Lord. See, not just Pharaoh, not just the Egyptians, Moses and the Israelites. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, if you want to underline something, by the way, this is kind of at the, at the crux of the plagues. Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? That's the key question. Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I'm going to bring locusts in all the country, covering the face of the whole land so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what's left at What's left to you after the hail, and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field. They shall fill your houses and the houses of your servants. All the Egyptians, neither your fathers or grandfathers, have seen this from the day that they came on earth to this day. And then he turned and he went out from Pharaoh. Listen to Pharaoh's servants here in verse 7. How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Fine, go serve the Lord your God, but which ones are to go? Moses said, We will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and our daughters, with our, with our flocks and our herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, The Lord be with you if I ever let you go, you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. no. Go, the men among you, and serve the Lord, for that's what you're really asking. And they're driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Notice that he's trying to redefine what God's actually telling him to do. But I want to focus on the key here. What's, what's, who's to blame? God and Moses, because they're trying to scheme against him to do something evil. Now, I don't want you to look at your spouse, but have you ever been in an argument where it's coming down to the end and you know your spouse is wrong, they know they're wrong, and the last thing they might do is, I don't know, blame you? Don't look around, all right? Just stay eyes forward. Of course, and that's what's happening here. It's the bitter end. Pharaoh knows he's wrong. The magicians know he's wrong. The servants of Pharaoh are saying, you've, you've ruined Egypt with your pride. Humble yourself. And you know what he says? Get out of here, Moses. You have evil in your heart. Verse 12, so the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came over all the land and settled on the whole country of Egypt, such a dense swarm of locusts as never has been before, nor will ever be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened. And they ate all the plants in the land, all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. And so he went out from Pharaoh and he pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea, not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. Okay, last plague, and then Eric's going to get into the Passover next week. This is the ninth plague, but the tenth and the Passover, they are inextricably linked. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. Have you ever walked into a room where it's like so thick darkness that you can feel it? It's like you can taste the darkness, like milkshake darkness. You know what I mean? This is where you usually hit your feet, hit your shin, you know, kick the cat, that kind of thing. It's so dark. That's what God's after here. I want you to listen to this. Chapter, or verse 22. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was a pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all of the people of Israel had light where they lived. They literally don't even get out of bed because they can't see each other. Pharaoh called Moses and said, go serve the Lord. Your little ones may also go with you. Only leave your flocks and herds behind, bargaining again. But Moses said, we must all, you must also let us sacrifice, have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart that he would not let them go. And Pharaoh said to him, get away from me and take care that I never see, you never see my face again. For on that day that you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. Okay. Now, why read all of those verses? Why read all those plagues? Well, again, I I want us to think through this clearly and humbly. That's the key to these verses. If you'll notice, it's the pride of Pharaoh and his hardness of heart that leads to the destruction. It's humility that God's after. And so as we read this, we ought to take that lesson and say, how can we humbly read this passage? And I'll tell you how. It's not to put yourself in Moses and Aaron's shoes and say, I would have been that guy. It's to put yourself in Pharaoh's shoes and say, how am I like him? Is it possible that we also hear the word of the Lord and ignore him? Is it possible we hear the word of the Lord and we lie, slyly lie, something like this? Okay, God, you're right, but I have really internally no intention to change. Is it possible that we, like the magicians, compete with God covertly? We can do what you can do. That we bargain with God. I'll give a little of what you want, you give a little of what I want. As though he had any reason to be in that bargaining agreement with us. Is it plausible that we can fall into worldly grief, blaming all of the things that Pharaoh does? And I want to propose that, of course, of course, That's the human condition. That's what sin's done to us. But why does God make a distinction between Israel and Egypt here? This is key. You got to perk your ears up here. Is it because Israel's, I don't know, morally superior to Egypt? Are they more capable to hear, to respond? If you've read the Old Testament, you know why I'm laughing. Because the Old Testament story of Israel is that It's the exact opposite. I'll just give you a little sneak peek into where we're headed. The children of Israel come out of Egypt, out of that idolatrous place. They see all the plagues. They go to Mount Sinai. They see the presence of God fall on the mountain. It's unbelievable, the signs. God's been feeding them with bread from heaven, pillar of fire by night, smoke by day. Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with God. Within days, they've taken all the gold they plundered from Egypt, thrown it into the fire, and made a calf that looks just like the gods of Egypt and started dancing around it. Within days. So, so I say, no, I don't think they're morally superior to the Egyptians. 
Here's what I think. The distinction of Goshen is all about highlighting the mercy of God, not the worthiness of Israel. It's all about highlighting God's mercy, his love, his kindness, his slow to anger character, abounding in steadfast love character. Now, the reason that's important for you and me is this. Listen, it's important for you and me because that's exactly what God intends to do with the church not highlight our worthiness of the mercy, highlighting his mercy, his love, his grace. And check this out, and how wide the door is open for anyone who will hear. Much like what? Like the ark. I thought about this in between gatherings. I was thinking of the ark. The door of the ark is open. Noah's call is to come in, anyone who wants to come in. And then the the ark door closes, of course, and we see the judgment You know, the typology of the ark is Christ in the New Testament in that the door to the ark was on the side of the ark and Jesus' side was pierced on the cross. He's the door, he says. I am the door. Anyone who comes in will come in through me. So if Christ is the ark and the door of the ark, he receives the brunt end of the judgment, the beating down of the rain, the floodwaters. And guess what we are? Just in there, inside the ark? Is that because, you know, worthiness? No, it's mercy. Hide yourself in the ark, right? In a moment next week, Eric's going to talk to us about put the blood of the lamb on your doorpost. There's no distinction between Egypt and Israel except what? The blood. The blood. My son in God's providence and my daughter, but, but, but my son started first, uh, goes to the same school that I went to school at when I, where I was his age. And, uh, and there's a couple elementary schools and so it didn't have to work out that way. But in God's providence, he went there and when he was in kindergarten, it's, it's weird. When I was in kindergarten, there was simple discipline. Like you just kind of knew if your kid had a bad day or a good day. And when my son went to school, it's like there's all these like colors and it's like a rainbow of colors you got to figure out. Like, was he mad, sad, indifferent, you know, ambivalent, you know, like defiant. It's like, oh man, like all these colors. And when I was in school, there was just the sad tree. And they would, in chalk, they would draw the sad tree on the board. And if your name got put on the sad tree that meant that you were going to be on the wall at recess. And you stand on the wall and you watch all your friends play. Every check next to your name was another five minutes on the wall. I was on the wall every day of kindergarten. And mostly, like, if you had a 30-minute recess, 25 minutes was on the wall. And I'm just waiting for my five minutes to rip, you know. Just give me a chance here. Miss Hopkins, I need my chance. That was her name, by the way. That's a crude example, of course. Because in one sense, we can see this happening with the land of Goshen, right? Is that there's a a distinction to be made to to, to show the children of Israel and the children of Egypt and the Pharaoh and Moses and Aaron that there is, like Cain and Abel, if you do well, Cain, will you not be accepted? Or if you humble yourself, Pharaoh, will I not preserve you? If you heed my voice, Pharaoh, will I not also protect you? Look, this is what it could have been, and then here you are, right? Right? But listen, for us, having been on this side of the truth of the gospel, on this side of the resurrection of Jesus, what we need to see is that in reality, the voice of God calling to us today is that Jesus has already taken the punishment plagues of Egypt. He's taken the wall out of the scenario if we would but believe the words of Christ. You see, we're meant to be a light to the world like Goshen was, like the church is meant to be the land within the land, the people within the people, the community within the community. God intends to use our lives as a testament to his mercy. 
But the distinction here that God gives in the plagues of Egypt, it provides a line in the sand for us to all understand. All of humanity stands here, Paul says. We can play the part of Pharaoh, hardening our hearts, or we can receive the free mercy of God by receiving his word with soft hearts. I said last week that God not only desires to get Israel out of the idolatrous land of Egypt, but God desires to purge the idolatrous Egypt out of our hearts. And that has not changed. That is still true. God not only desires to one day take us out of the world and bring us into the new heavens and the new earth, but God absolutely right now from the moment you hear this from the sound of my voice to the moment that you one day pass away and see Jesus face to face, he is about the business of purging the idols of the proverbial Egypt from your heart. He is about the business of cleansing us internally so that we might be pure worshipers in spirit and in truth of the one true God. And that call goes out every day. It's not just the gospel call in the beginning of our faith. It's the call every single day, which is why I want to close with Hebrews 3. It's why we started here, and it's why I want to end here, because Hebrews 3 is a text reminding us that it wasn't just Pharaoh who hardened his heart. It was an entire generation of Israelites who hardened their heart. Here's what it says, starting in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. You saw my works. And therefore, I was provoked with that generation. And I said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The writer of Hebrews says this. This is to you and me. Take care, brothers and sisters lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You may be saying, okay, court, like, I get it. Came to church to feel better. You didn't do a great job at that, but let's move on. You may be thinking, I know, you know, Pharaoh and, and, the, and the Egyptians, and that's some savage stuff they're doing. I'm, I'm not involved in all of that. I don't do that stuff. Here's what I'll say. Reject the pride that would make you say that you're above the darkness of idolatry in Egypt. You may be saying, you know, we don't have healing idols. We don't have economic idols. You know, we don't do the whole, most of us aren't going into, you know, our closets with the frog statue in there that we can bow down to. And so we think of ourselves as superior. And here's what I want to say. You don't think you have economic idols like them? We don't think we have healing idols like them, fertility idols like them, sexual idols like them, idols of wealth and prestige. I mean, who, who's your true healer, you know, when things really hit the fan? Who's your true provider when things are really tough? Who's your true father? Who's your true satisfaction? Who's your true treasure? Here's another way to put it. Who protects you whenever you're fearful? Who provides for you whenever you're uncertain? Who satisfies you when you're craving Friends, I need you to understand, the savage idols of Egypt have not died. They have merely repackaged themselves, redesigned themselves, renamed themselves, more coy, more creative, more deceitful, more crafty. They've actually gotten even better at what they do. They don't present themselves to you in an Egyptian way. They present themselves to you in an American way. Why? Because that's who you are. 
It's who I am. I read this article about Starbucks and just how good they are at marketing. Uh, they, in the fall, what they'll do is they package their coffee in beautiful, like, orange ladies. They get you, okay? Orange leaves. You know, it's, like, awesome. These packages, bright colors, like, oh, fall. And, you know, girls, you're, t- you're done with summer. Now you're ready for, like, you know, boots and things like that. And so you're like, oh, look at that. Let's get some coffee. You know, let's, for my wife, it's like, baby, bring the fall deco down from the attic. And I'm like, we have fall deco? Like, can we just have decoration normal stuff? No, there's no such thing. You got seasonal deco. And do you know what they do for all the coffee that doesn't sell? They take it to the back, they repackage it. They may throw a little bit of mint in there for the candy cane. They put it, make it green, and they sell it to you again next month for Christmas. And do you know what happens? It works phenomenally. They don't throw away coffee. They resell it to you. The savage gods are not silly. They're not dumb. They're not ignorant. In fact, some of the savage gods may know the very word of God better than us. Paul said it like this. Satan will come to you as an angel of light. He presents himself to you with wonderful offers. He doesn't come to you and say, this way to hell. Would you follow me? You know, that's not how it works. He presents himself to you slowly but surely, gradually, grain of sand after grain of sand, causing you to, in a very slow, methodical way, let your heart be hardened to the call of God. The false prophets of old still exist today. And so here's what I want to leave you with. Just as God patiently keeps calling Pharaoh to himself over and over and over again in the Exodus, Christ every day is calling. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, so long as it's called today, respond. Don't put it off. Don't, don't wait till later because then what happens is that slowly the gradual calcifying of the heart continues. Christ is calling today. The call of Jesus is this, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Jesus calls to us today, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who lets me in, I will come and I will sup with them. Or as Jesus told Martha when her brother Lazarus died, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, do you believe this? That call still goes out today. Do you believe? Christ loves you so much this morning that he will not let you be destroyed by the idols that are vying for your heart without a fight. He will call, he will call, he will call, he will knock, he'll pursue you, he'll chase you down. It'll be so, it'll even be annoying to you like it was annoying to Pharaoh. Get away from me, get out of my face. God will continue to call you back. And so I want to follow this text in Hebrews because what it tells us to do is exhort one another every day so long as it is called today so that we might not be hardened. I want to exhort you this morning. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of restoration. Today is the day of revival in your soul. You don't have to walk out and plan for another day. When I'm ready, let me tell you something. You'll never be ready to lay down your idols because they like holding on to you. There's never a day when you're like, oh, I'll get it all cleaned up. Listen to me. If you're waiting to be cleaned up to follow Jesus, You're going to be waiting until you die. You ain't clean. I'm not clean. I had to show up muddy and dirty, the dirtiest of all. If you've ever read The Prodigal Son, I was in the slop trough. That's how I showed up. It's the only way people show up. You might be able to put lipstick on the pig, but the pig's still the pig. But the invitation is you're a son and a daughter if you just come home. And so this morning, I just want to pray together with us as we take of 
communion, that before we do, we'd have that reflection, say, God, I just want to hear your voice. I want the soft heart that only your spirit can give, and I don't want to be, have the hardened heart of Pharaoh. I want to hear your voice. I want to respond to your voice. I want to repent of sin. I want to walk in truth. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, pray now. Would you come and speak directly to each of us? You and you alone know what it is that we need to hear. And so I pray, would you speak clearly? As we take in remembrance of your broken body, Jesus, and your shed blood, we pray that before we take, you would remind us of that which you have called us to, namely the mercy in the gospel. Help us to confront sin, repent of sin. If it's encouragement that we need, then Lord, speak that word of life to us. If it's the help in our weakness, God, bring that help. But Lord, nonetheless, call out to us now that we might respond and that we might worship you, not just with our lips, but with our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.